Hello, and a very warm welcome to Mademoiselle Privé, a new series by Monocle recorded at Chanel's brand new exhibition in Tokyo. I'm Tyler Brulé. Mademoiselle Privé takes us on a journey through haute couture, high jewellery, and perhaps one of the most notorious fragrances ever created, Chanel Number no. 5. Themed rooms reveal the fashion mastery by the Maison's designers from Gabrielle Chanel to Karl Lagerfeld and now Virginie Viard and also the various ateliers whose world-renowned skills are responsible for some of the most famous outfits to grace the catwalk. Over the run of this series, I've met all sorts of Chanel collaborators and ambassadors, from the filmmaker Sofia Coppola to the model and DJ Suju Park. But today, I'm speaking to the musician and producer Pharrell Williams about craft and connecting with Chanel. We're in Tokyo, but what's going on outside? What's going to happen today? What's going to happen tomorrow in the world of Mademoiselle Privé? I think it's, I mean, if I were to paraphrase, because I feel like, I don't know, I'm not sure I'd do it much justice, but if I had to paraphrase, I'd say that it's this beautiful exhibition of these different interesting pockets of history with the brand and what Gabrielle Chanel was into and her inspiration, and it tries, I feel like these exhibitions very successfully give you a glimpse into what it's like, what she was thinking, you know, so they take you into these living spaces and then they sort of walk you through her inspiration, those interesting, magical epiphanies. I think they aim to make sure that the person who has experienced it sort of has similar experience, although, you know, we're not her, our minds don't work the way hers did, but it's pretty cool. What resonates with you, not just with the exhibition, but Chanel in general, there's lots of people you could work with around the world, and you do, um, but there's a, obviously a deep relationship with, with this brand and obviously everything that happens here. What, what are the points of connection for you? I think when they talk about her process and you sort of see, you've experienced and seen a lot of the results, but when you that's what this project is. This project is essentially these experiential reverse engineering experiences. And so when you see how she thinks and you see so much of her past and so many like moments that really struck her or her really serious hard edge point of views, you're reminded that she's an artist, you know, and that fashion is an art. And artists are usually misunderstood. And as a fellow artist, I can relate to when you just see things the way you see it, and maybe people around you may not be able to see that, but you stick to it. And then time and space reveals that it was the right thing. That's cool to me. And I think seeing that about how she looked at white and black, most people are like, okay, you're going monochromatic, it's just black and white. And she's like, no, it's the absence of color. Okay. That's artist speak. You know, that's really awesome. In a world this so much brand overload today, everyone's competing for voice across a variety of channels. Do you think you almost need this type of post-rationalization like this type of exhibition does to get cut through, to give, you talk about artistry, to give it context? I don't know if you need it as much as because like the person that's buying something or the person that's seeing something can glean whatever they want from it, right? 
even when you get the explanation, it's like, well, oh, okay, well, that's cool, but uh, that's not what I get out of it. You know what I mean? It's like someone standing in front of a Jackson Pollock painting and one person going, oh, my God, I can't believe that's what made him do that. Another person going, yeah, looks like splashed paint to me. But I think it's fascinating. And I think if you're really interested as an enthusiast, I think it's really incredibly fascinating. And I think it gives so much, like, topography to, the, to your static perception of what it is that she's done. It starts to move in your mind, and you're like, wow, this woman was really enigmatic and very clear and focused on what she was doing. She was, like, challenging so many customs. And that's what real true artists do. They challenge the norm, and, and that is their art form, the way in which they challenge things. I find that, I find that incredibly fascinating. But not everybody's going to get off on that. Not everybody's going to get high off of that. But for me, I'm like, wow. Do real artists give credit where credit's due? I think that's a matter of opinion, because there are real artists that don't. And then there are like non-artists that do, and vice versa. So I think that's a matter of personal opinion. But I think what's interesting here is that there is a level of credit, just all of the ateliers, you see that we're really talking about craft here as well, which is something which is not just about the singular voice of brand, but also there's a whole backup team behind this. 100%. That's, yeah. And they deserve just as much light in the sun as she did. And I think that's what the current custodians of the brand are doing really well, going back and supporting all of craftsmen and their guilds. Like, that's a... That's an amazing thing. Because to your point, there are people who don't give credit. And I think that credit is to be given and never to be taken. So you kind of have to like wait for it. That's why I try to spend most of my time when it comes to things that, that have been done with me and my team. I try to spend more time talking about them. We had a conversation yesterday about some projects that you were doing. And we sort of touched on this direction and being able to give people channels to do things. We were talking certainly in an urban sort of city context. And I'm wondering, do we give people enough opportunity to appreciate craftsmanship, to make that a channel, a career choice? Because, you know, it seems a lot of focus today is you should go become a lawyer. You know, you should go and do eight years in university. And actually, if you're going to go and hang cables for AT&T, that's not so important. But you can make a lot of money, actually. Yeah, I think that's just very old and stereotypical. And I feel like the generations before ours, that's what they aspired to do. Like they were so happy to, I'm speaking from the African-American or African diaspora point of view, they were so happy to, to have elevated jobs beyond just factory work or just stuff that was just like tumultuous human toil, like jobs that needed to get done but were very hard on the physical condition. I think that they were like, oh, man, you know, use your head. Like, you know, go become a doctor or go become a lawyer. And I just think that, like, we're in a different time, right? We're, I just think that was a different time. And I think craftsmanship is more so an art form. And I think the more we tell these stories, the more people realize that it's not just conveyor belt work or factory work. It's actually using the artisan using their hands and their skill set and techniques and processes that have been around for maybe hundreds of years, depending on what the category is. But there's an art form to that. I think that's very, very, very important. And especially during the time where like everything is like so tech driven, 
we're going to need that, especially with all the automation that's coming. I know Elon is, you know, he's talking about the AI, but people really need to know that, like, the automated, it's like Terminator. It's like the automated jobs are, like, going to come and take over everything. And so while you have that genre just growing exponentially, like the curve is so big, we mustn't forget about the things that computers can mock. You know, CG and the CNC machines can mock, but it doesn't have the human touch. And that's the difference. And that's the art form. The human element is like the art form. And that's why I think what they're doing now is just so good. Does that put the onus on we the media you the artist to make this more pronounced because we all get carried away in the excitement of what technology can bring us. But then, as you said, somehow artisanship, sometimes it's seen as something which is still in a dusty corner. It's not that sexy. Uh, you know, why should you go and do a career with your hands when you could go and work in Silicon Valley? Do you think we need to sort of change the amp on that a little bit? Holy shit, I just had like a deja vu. That was wild. Yes, the answer is yes. That was just weird. That's Where'd you go, what happened? Man, like 10 years ago I dreamt that. Just that one second. That's, it's pretty crazy. But thinking about that, if, I mean, aside from sort of one word, yes, we need to do it, how do we get there? I mean, because on one side, it's, it's a discussion with educators. Some would say it needs to be on a municipal, federal level that we sort of need to be talking about this. It needs to be front page of the New York Times. Maybe it needs to be a podcast like this. How do you change the narrative? When everyone sort of thinks that everything that Elon does and all of his mates do is the best thing ever. It is, but this sector of society is very important too. It's very important. It's super important. I'm sorry, I was just startled by that deja vu moment. Because when you asked me, do you think the onus is on us as like, you know, journalists? And I was like, no, you're, I was going to say, your problem is the bots. The bots are just like controlling the narrative like everywhere and online and everywhere. And I just think even as they continue to push these other like narratives to sort of like homogenize us as uh, the human species as a culture to sort of just go one way, it is important that other sectors of society like this continue to push the necessity that is the human element, because without that, everything is just machinized. Just before we go, it's interesting that we're sitting in Tokyo having this conversation, because on one side, this was the place that maybe proclaimed a while ago that the robots were coming, even if it was in manga form. We've seen so many windows on the future here. Yet Japan still represents this interesting balance between of course, deep respect for handicraft. This is a country which, of course, still has living icons. There's a, a you know, very interesting level of respect. Are there cues? Do you sort of see hope in a place like Japan, potentially? Yeah, I think, yes, yes, yes. There's a lot of hope in Tokyo. You can't help but feel it when you get here. The honor and the humility that is here, that is just is as present as the humidity in Virginia, like it is just in the air. It instills incredible optimism to anyone that deboards the plane and is just walking around um, on any of the streets. The service that you get here, the, just your general experience, I just think that that is just like, it's just teeming with hope. And yeah, the robots are coming. It's a very real thing. It's cheaper 
and we got to start looking at our companies and that's why i think that's what this whole thing is about like i think chanel is doing that i think that they are looking at this very clearly it's not that they don't have machines to make certain items or whatever but i think that they are doing a really good job of continuing to tell the story that this brand is peopled by people and their artists and when you talk about like that juxtaposition between craftsmanship and technology well i'm wearing this Chanel like fanny pack, but inside of it is my iPhone and neither one of them will I part with. So the two can work symbiotically. Look, my phone fits in here very well. It's a really big one. Yeah. Always a pleasure for Williams. Pleasure's mine. And that was none other than Mr. Pharrell Williams speaking to me at Mademoiselle Privé, the brand new Chanel exhibition at the BNC Hall in Tokyo, which is on until December 1st. And you can find out more information at mademoisellepriv.chanel.com. This program was produced by Holly Fisher, and I'm Tyler Brulé. You can explore all of our collaborations with Chanel at monocle.com forward slash radio, or by heading to the Chanel 355 podcast on iTunes. Till next time, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.